In Revelation 2 and 3, we read about seven churches that were around at the time of John the Apostle. While John was writing to those literal churches, there's spiritual significance for churches and believers today. So we're going to be self-honest enough, or are we, to see how these might apply to me and you. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here. So happy that you have joined us. Continue to pray for Dave and Jana, Doug and Tina, and the entire group as they are traveling through Israel. This will be there last week, so we'll be right back to normal programming next week. Um, But today, we're going to spend some time decoding the symbolism that you can find in the seven churches of Revelation. So open your Bible. We're going to be walking through chapters 2 and 3. And uh, ought to be an exciting show. We're happy to have back Pastor John Hargrove. You all are getting used to him around here. I think you've been on the show how many times in the last few months? Maybe four or five times. So it's been great to have Pastor John Hargrove. And then a a new guy that I want to introduce you to, uh, Derek Weeks. Thank you for the invitation. My friend, also he has hair, so we had to mix it up a little bit. (laughs) We're trying to compete with Joe from New York a little bit. All right. uh, So we're glad to have Derek. He... um, just a quick, I guess, introduction of me and you, Derek, because I met you in 2007, I believe. If you watch End Time University or go through that on Jerusalem Prophecy College or watch it on End Time Plus, you might see Derek in the crowd. You were attending that with your mother, mm-hmm. and one thing led to another. I believe you were born again through that process. I was. And you and I have been connected ever since, of course, along with Pastor John Hargrove. So uh, I, I was talking to him before the show came on that this is going to be like we're standing around the coffee pot at church having a conversation so Mm -hmm. it's going to be fun i think i think so and again thank you for the invitation absolutely do do you want to tell anything about those those early days or should we No, i think uh, we want to leave those days in the past (laughs) and thank god for the grace (laughs) that he has given us you know amen we we talked about grace yesterday so (laughs) um all right well let's get right into this because there's no way we're going to cover all seven churches thoroughly but we're going to do our best to talk about each one and uh, see what happens. So let's just give a quick overview. What, what do you guys think of when you think of the seven churches? And um, I guess if someone's never really looked into this, or, or maybe they have a million times, kind of what, what, how should we approach this? I think the first way we approach it is to look at the number one thing, how it applies to us, how relevant it is for us today. And as we see how relevant it is, see how we can use it as a roadmap of how to not do some things and how to focus on doing some things also mm-hmm. in the right way. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Eric? Yeah, and to that, in addition to the relevancy, I would keep in mind that every single um, word to those seven churches are unified by the idea of overcoming. You see that to the Ephesian church through the Pergamum Church, Thyatira, all the way to Laodicea, you have God wanting or calling every single one of His churches to overcome, and namely through patient suffering, just like Jesus. But that is the big thread, and you find that that thread goes through the whole of the Revelation. Vince is taught on that, Irvin Baxter is taught on that, Dave as well. Um, The big call 
of Revelation is to overcome and to remain patient. So I think as we're keeping in mind um, how relevant, not relative, but how um, these letters relate to us, we have to remember God is ultimately calling us to overcome. Overcome what? (laughs) So dependent upon, okay, so big picture, to overcome, that is to say for these churches it's suffering and that Jesus has called us to live the life of suffering. It's part and parcel with the Christian life. You can't divorce it. Two sides, same coin kind of thing. And every church is going to go through their version of suffering, and even us today. I mean, some of us here in America, we may not have uh, an empire lording over us and pressing us, but there's still suffering. There's still sickness. There are third world countries. There are dictators out there that still do lord over people. So the idea is suffering is going to last until the day that Jesus comes back. But there is a way that you can live through the suffering and he's calling us to overcome. Or, as John puts another way, to endure patiently through the suffering. You guys have a favorite church out of these seven? Do you like prefer one over the other? I mentioned before we went on air, I, the Church of Smyrna has always been uh, a powerful witness that you can still do things in a very pleasing way to to the Creator. And I see that church, they endured uh, a lot of hardship, but they endured it with a steadfastness mm-hmm. and was very pleasing to God. Mm. Uh, Smyrna is one of the two churches that wasn't doing anything wrong. So, can I back up a little bit, or do we want to? Go ahead. I just don't want to overstep. We're just at the coffee pot. Yep, we're at the coffee pot. So, there is um, a method that John uses when he's writing the letters, or actually to say that Jesus used as delivering these messages to the seven churches and every single word opens up with a reminder of some aspect of Jesus from back in chapter one, the eyes of fire, the right hand holding the seven stars, walking through the candlesticks. Every single letter has some aspect of Jesus. And then it's followed by um, Jesus approving what they've done well and then condemning what they've done wrong. And then lastly, it follows with a warning and a reward for those who overcome. And with Smyrna, there were no problems, which is amazing because Mm -hmm. of the world they lived in. And even in the world we live in today, can we honestly say there's a church with no spot, no wrinkle? But yet you're not seeing that here with Smyrna. In fact, you're seeing Jesus congratulate them because he says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you're really rich. Even those who slander against you. You're still mine. Um, and then he goes on uh, a little more. But I, I find that to be amazing that men and women, churches as a whole, can faithfully, faithfully follow their Lord uh, despite the chaos that surrounds them. Totally agree. Something so amazing, Derek, you mentioned that uh, the words of encouragement that is being spoken to them, but the one thing, the poverty we look at poverty here in America, and we don't like it. Mm-hmm. But I really believe when you look at this, the church smart, poverty was their friend. Poverty probably was the key thing that kept them in focus of what God was calling them to be faithful with. Oh, I completely agree. Because when you look at Laodicea, they were rich, but they abandoned God because of their affluence. I thought so. Christians were supposed to drive nice cars and have mansions. Is that not what's going on? 
Well, when I look at Jesus, I don't see that. He didn't have a place to lay his head. So if you have a house, I think you're doing really well. Uh, well, you know, we've actually taken the whole book of Revelation. Um, there's 21 episodes available on End Time Plus. You can go to endtime.com slash rev. It's actually Irvin Baxter's last work that he did on, as far as a big series go. You can go to endtime.com slash rev and start streaming each episode today. Like I said, there's 21 different episodes. He talks about this very thing in episode two or three, so you can go binge watch it all right now. It's totally free to you if you're already an End Time Plus subscriber, or you can start a free trial today. Again, endtime.com slash rev. So stick around. We're going to get off into how this applies to you and I today. We'll be right back. They that understand what is taking place, what is taking place, except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to endtime.com slash future or call 800-END-TIME. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here, joined with special guests, Pastor John Hargrove and Derek Weeks. Uh, We are so happy to be walking through uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, decoding the symbols in uh, the seven churches of Revelation and figuring out how it applies to us today. We're going to get back into that, but before we do, I want to remind you that Understand the End Time is now available for pre-order. You can pre-order the DVD series the book, or you can get the DVD series and the book by going to endtime.com slash ABC or calling us at 800-END-TIME. That's 800-363-8463. If you pre-order today, we've got some special stuff that we're adding in. In fact, it's over $350 in bonus items. Um, If you get the full package, you're going to be getting the DVD series, the book, access to End Time Plus for a year, and a VIP video call with Dave Robbins, which will also include the e-book, and I think that's everything. But you can go to endtime.com slash ABC to see the full list of things that are coming 
uh, with that package today. Intime.com slash ABC or call 800-END-TIME, 800-363-8463. All right, guys, we're going to get right back into it. And where, where we're going to start here is I'll just read the passage. We're starting with Ephesus and then jumping to Laodicea, if we ever get there. We know we could spend a long time on Ephesus and then Smyrna, and then we'll just go back into the order at the third church mentioned there and go on down. But um, Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent... I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So that's the whole first section. There's a lot in there. I'll reiterate, you guys stop me. If I'm on verse 2 reading, feel free to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the first thing we want to highlight in this section? Um, one thing I'd like to bring up is just the opening verse, that reminder that it's Jesus who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So if you remember, the opening of every letter is going to remind the listeners of some aspect of Jesus from chapter 1. And here... Jesus is wanting to remind the church of Ephesus that really it's him who has all authority and reigns, not Caesar. Because Ephesus was the center of the imperial reign in that area. Like a lot of the cult worship of Caesar worship happened there. And people were reminded of just how powerful Caesar was. But here Jesus is saying, actually, no, it's me. The right arm, the right arm, strength and holding the seven stars, all power. That's me. So if I read this and I'm thinking for me, I'm like, okay, that means I'm not looking at the upcoming presidential election going, if Donald Trump wins or if Ron DeSantis wins or whoever else, then I'm, that, that's going to be some magic formula. Mm-hmm. Or um, it's not the fact that my pastor or the TV preacher that I watch or whatever, is that kind of how I'm applying it to today? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, it's a reminder that it's Jesus who is ultimate, that Jesus who is the one who has all power and, as we continue on, will be the one who will unfurl his plans and purposes. Trump won't. DeSantis won't. Biden won't. None of the kings of the past or the present will have ever or will. It is Jesus himself who rules and reigns. So right here, Jesus is taking a stab at the emperor and reminding his people, hey, children, it's me. I'm the one who reigns. I'm the one who rules. And... My that, kingdom's bigger than the earth. Yes, that my kingdom is yeah. bigger, and my plans will not be stopped. Mm-hmm. And for those who are overwhelmed 
by the government and their plans for those who are overwhelmed. If you're under persecution, I just want to remind you, it's Jesus who sits on the throne. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus who reigns. It's not the king. It's not the president. It's not the governmental rulers. It's him. And if you can get a clear picture of who Jesus is like John is, I promise you that's going to reorient your view and give you a proper perspective of reality. It'll give you heaven's reality on earth's circumstances. We've all been pastoring together for a long time. You've been doing it way longer than us. Uh, People do have a view of Jesus, perhaps a, a, a correct one, and they still struggle. How do we help people like that in those cases? Because it's like, what, do you, is there some magic prayer that they can say? Is that can they give a big enough offering and then I go do a prayer for them? Like, how do people go? Okay, I do see Jesus, but I still have trouble. Yeah, I personally think the key, and anyone that knows me knows that I say this all the time. The greatest way to to know God and to know His heartbeat is to spend time with Him, mm. is, to, is to have a relationship with Him. And as Derek was commenting, this opening passage here is reminding us God knows. God sees all. And for me personally, Vince, for, for years as a disciple of Christ, I was so immature in my walk with Him that as long as I was pleasing my pastor, which most people believe the angel of this church here was the pastor over that church. Um, but I only strive to please my pastor. And so I think a lot of people strive to please a man because that's all they've been taught. If you just please a man, you know, everything's going to be kosher. But we got to help people understand that God knows all things. God sees all things. And it's God that we're serving. And man will never be the answer. Man will never never be the solution. Man will help uh, lead us. But ultimately, it's God's Word and His Spirit that is going to triumph over everything in our lives. But remember, God knows all things, and God is watching us. Now, that's interesting. As a pastor, you're saying, go figure this out. Like, I'm here for you. I'm telling you what I believe the Lord is saying. But don't just take my word for it. You need to get in this and figure it out as well. So I I just want to reiterate, you know, at end time, we are, and I know you all are as well, we are big proponents of the local church body. You need to be involved in the local church. You need to be, have pastoral leadership in your life. So we're not saying just desert all that and go hide in the cave. But we are saying you need to open this book and read it for yourself. You do need to not rely on some man to touch the Lord for you. You need to be in prayer on your own. Most definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else in that passage? I mean, there's a lot with Ephesus, so I know there's a lot more there. Um, I would bring up the next thing here. Jesus is commending the good that they're participating in. He says, and all the things you do. Yes, I see your toil. I see your patient endurance. Going back to that. Um, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them to be false. You're enduring patiently. There it is again. And bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. So there's the commendation. But now here's uh, what's wrong. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at the first. Now, what's that mean? 
So what John has in mind here is works. That is to say, works that are propelled by love. And love not being an emotion, a feeling, but love being a driving force to sublimate your desires for the betterment of somebody else. It's when you're willing to look at somebody and you see the inherent God value in them and you try to help them, you try to better them, even at the expense of yourself. That's what the cross is fundamentally. And so what John is saying here is you've left your love at the first and then how we know that it's works related is he says repent and go back to the works you were doing at the beginning. So what the Christians had done is even though they were testing to see who was genuine, who was not, even though they were toiling, they were patient in their endurance, it was all loveless. It became routine. It became what they did every day. They were checking off boxes. You ever struggle because, with that personally? Huh? You ever struggle with that personally? Oh, man, we, I think everybody does every day. I, would, I think so. That we, we do things because it's become mundane, because it's become routine, and... You know, I'll, I'll put this within a church context because my assumption is most listeners are Christians. You get those invitations to serve within your local church and you accept those invitations because you're just checking a box rather than accepting it because you've asked yourself, how can I love somebody else today? When was the last time you accepted greeting because you wanted to love somebody else? When was the last time, pastors, you accepted preaching because you wanted to love those that were sitting out. Don't be stepping on the, the preacher's toes. <laughs> it's, this is everybody. This is everybody. Um, from the preachers, ushers, greeters, anybody. That's just within a church context. Husbands, Uh-oh. loving your wives, not out of obligation, because you have to, but because you see her value as a daughter, as a child of God. Can the wives comment, amen. <laughs> and you want to better them. I know, the my, I know my section. wife is right now. Yeah, if she she's is. listening, she's going to be saying, okay. <laughs> Type amen yep. if you agree with that, wives. Yep. And so it's, it's applicable. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, I think we've got to slow down and become intentional with what we're doing for the Lord. Because if we're not intentional... And saying, I'm doing this because I love you, Lord, and I love others, then you're going to slip into routine, possibly even legalism, and not even realize so many people are serving and doing things for the Lord, and you have no idea you're doing it in a loveless way. Well, in the Western world, we are so task list oriented. You know, it's, we are, uh, there's this organizational structure that has been established where you have the hierarchy of a company. And you come and clock in at 8 and leave at 5 or whatever that structure may look like for your job. But we're so used to this. And, and the church has adapted to that. You know, this, um, I'm not going to get into church structure too much on this, <laughs> in this conversation. But the church tends to look, the Western church tends to look a lot like the McDonald's corporation hierarchy. Well, and, and that's so, because the church has adopted American CEO business structure. And so, as as disciples inside of this system, we tend to be task-oriented. We mm-hmm. tend to be performance-driven. Yep. You know, if I accept that opportunity to serve three times a month, I'm an all-star because I'm doing it for three weeks out of the mm-hmm. four, you know, or whatever. And as long as I'm here at a certain time, 
then I'm one of the elders of the church and I'm standing out from those people that come five minutes late. Mm-hmm. And so that all is like plays into this psyche of not serving the Lord in this capacity out of love, but it's performance driven. Right, yeah. And it goes back to what D.G. Hargrove said when you interviewed him. Yeah. You want to live within that value-driven system. And you're not going to get there without self-honesty. That was yep. the beginning. Anything to add before we jump to this next part that I know you want to highlight? I think the key thing that I would highlight, um, Derek, you talked about the works dimension. There's definitely for 21st century uh, pastors, 21st century disciples, I I hear so many people saying that it's not about works, Mm -hmm. that you don't focus on works, that grace covers it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But James says, you show me your faith without works, I show you my faith by my works. And so uh, works is a very important part of this. It's not saving us, but it is manifesting uh, that love Mm -hmm. that we have for God. And we do these things not as duty, but we do it because it's out of a heart of love for what we understand the Master has Mm -hmm. made available to us. It goes on to say anyone with ears to hear. That... You know, I think, I don't remember what day we talked about this on the show. It might have been yesterday, but do I have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, it was yesterday. We're talking about let's pray less of Lord speak to me and more of open my ears to hear what you're saying because He's speaking. Yes. And so, man, what we've talked about already, I wonder mm-hmm. have I, as we've been talking, have our listeners, as we've been talking, have had ears to hear or are we going that old you know that old song it's not my brother it's not my sister have we been pointing at oh Mm -hmm. man my sister needs to be listening I need to send her this link or (laughs) you know sister so and so or whatever Mm -hmm. I wish my pastor heard this instead of what are you saying to me Lord right that part man that just Mm -hmm. jumps out and grabs me like you better make sure that you're Mm -hmm. willing to hear that you're willing to be a a student right and, and learn something and by adding to that, I want to back up. The reason why we have to hear is because if we don't allow love to be the propelling agent, Jesus said, I will remove the lampstand from that church. That I will make sure that you cease to exist if you're not reflecting me because God said, I am love. Mm-hmm. And you're no more like God than when you love. And this is the only time he gives the warning and so we must really have ears churches. to hear. Yeah, yeah I, to all the seven churches. This is, in my opinion, probably the gravest warning mm-hmm. because it means you will cease to exist. And I don't want that to be said of us. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be said of you. We need to love. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming up on a break. We're going to have to uh, cut the conversation off here, unfortunately, but we're going to keep going. So you don't want to go anywhere. Don't forget, you can watch our 21-episode series on the book of Revelation at endtime.com slash rev. be doing that today. You can watch it on demand and, and binge watch it, if you will. We'll be right back after this break. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. 
These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Seagal here with special guest, Pastor John Hargrove. I guess I should say Pastor Derek Weeks as well. Longtime friends of mine. We've been serving together, and today we're talking about the symbolism that we see in uh, the seven churches of the book of Revelation and how it applies to me, to you. Um, and, and, and we're praying that the Lord would open our ears to hear what He's saying. And... Um, so we talked about Ephesus and focused on works and love a bit and, and having an ear to hear. So I want to pause before we get into Laodicea and say, um, if you're tracking along with us, in the comment section, type the word love. Let us know that you're hearing what we're saying out there. Uh, not everyone gets notified that we're live, and that's fine. We are trusting in the Lord that whoever's supposed to see this will. So comment love and help get the word out that the show is live. And also, don't forget to share. It goes a long way when you share this video and get it in front of your, in front of your friends and family. And then last, if you're so willing to do one more thing, hit the heart icon. It's a lot better than a thumbs up. Uh, so do that now, and we're going to get right into Laodicea here. Again, guys, interrupt me. I'm so happy to be interrupted. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy for you to do that. So uh, chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So, oh, breaking on you there. Man, <laughs> you're not you supposed to interrupt to. me. <laughs> so, again, there's a reason for why Jesus gives a reminder of some aspect of himself. Usually it's to give some kind of peace. So, like with Ephesus. He reminded him that I'm the one that holds the seven stars. I'm the one that's powerful, not Caesar. Here again, Jesus has a reason, but this time it's going to be geared towards the pride of the church. And we're going to hear about that pride as we continue reading. So keep in mind that Jesus is saying, I'm the amen. I'm the yes. I'm the faithful witness. I'm the beginning of God's creation, which means that I am the one who is truly great. I'm the first. So remember that as you read the rest. All right. It goes on to say in, in verse 15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. 
but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So if you're remembering from the beginning, verse 14, Jesus reminded them, I'm the first of God's creation. I am great. And then you see that juxtaposition of the church's pride and them thinking that they're great. I'm well to do. I'm good. And actually, Jesus is saying, no, compared to me, you're pitiable. You're actually naked. You don't, you don't know what's really happening. And that's kind of another indictment against this church. And you'll find out that out of all seven of the churches, Laodicea is the only church that doesn't have anything good going. <laughs> Jesus can't command anything. Just right out of the gate, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. That's how hard the language is. Not just spit. I want to vomit you out because you're not profitable to me. You're not hot and therapeutic you're not cold and refreshing you're lukewarm hey let's talk about that because you know a lot of people say you either need to be hot for the lord or you need to be cold yeah so why do we want to send people to hell (laughs) well that's what the scriptures say it's not me (laughs) no the scriptures are saying you either be hot or cold yeah so they're they're (laughs) in my estimation off on that one um so remember the letter is written to a people in a specific place and in a specific time. And a few miles north is a city called um, uh, Hierapolis. And from Hierapolis, there they had and were proud of these hot springs mm. that they had. And um, they were uh, the city of Laodicea was able to eventually build this waterway that brought the hot water down. And sometimes it became lukewarm and unprofitable. You know, they couldn't enjoy the therapeutic and medicinal purposes of that hot water. So when it became lukewarm, no good. And by the time that it would reach them, if the water was lukewarm, there was this calcium and mineral buildup that would make people sick if they drank it. So that's the hot idea. And then southeast, you had these snow-capped mountains at Cadmus, cold, refreshing water that would make its way over to Laodicea. So John has very much in mind geography, or has geography in mind as he's utilizing this hot and cold. He's saying, I want you hot like the great hot spring waters that are up in Hierapolis, or I would have you cold and refreshing like the snow-capped water at Cadmus. But you're lukewarm, you're unprofitable, and God says, I want to vomit you out because you're of no use. And the other key thing that you highlighted when we started talking about the church Laodicea, was this pride mm-hmm. that they were driven by. Mm-hmm. And if there was never a time that we are dealing with pride, 
a culture that is fueled by pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't Talk go to it. that subject. Yes. Uh, but pride is it's, it's, it's horrific. And the scripture plainly says that it goes before destruction mm-hmm. and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so I believe also, I believe, I definitely see the geographical element, but I believe he also, when he said, I'd rather that you're hot or cold, he talks about uh, people that are double-minded, people that don't know exactly what they believe, what they don't believe. And uh, God's saying, I want you to be anchored to me. I'm the source I am. Mm-hmm. And when you understand who he is and that he has all power, uh, you're, you're going to love him radically. Mm-hmm. And pride will not rule your life. He will rule your life. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to be led by his spirit and to be prideful? Not at all. So, like, I think we've known people over the years that seem to be led by a spirit and they seem to be prideful. Maybe they have moments of pridefulness and then they're led by a spirit separately or how do we explain that? You know, uh, Vince, uh, I've listened to uh, Irvin for years and if there was one thing that Irvin really highlighted all the time was staying anchored to the source, staying anchored to, to God. And he would always emphasize a daily prayer life. Mm-hmm. People that struggle with pride and at moments seem like they're not fighting it, they don't have a consistent walk with the Master. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're touched by His Spirit. They're touched by His Word. But they're not really hearing what the Spirit has to say continually. You hear it maybe once in a while, but you're not really listening. So they have lukewarm faith. Most definitely. If you have faith, you're going to be praying. Mm-hmm. You're going to be Talking with the Lord regularly, most definitely. In fact, you know, us being in the book, uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is reminding us when He comes back, He says, "Will He find faith mm. in the earth?" Mm. Where does faith come from? It comes from God. Mm-hmm. It's a gift from God. But God's saying, "Will when I come back, will I find people that are still anchored to Me?" And I believe the key way that faith stays alive in us is being rooted and grounded in the Word of God and being truly a Spirit-led disciple. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, when I return, will I find people that are not driven by pride but are really driven by my my humility, mm. my, my attributes. And and that's what we see with the church of see it. They were driven by pride. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's why Jesus could not say anything good about them. So people that are struggling with pride nonstop, I, I promise you, overall, you don't hear a lot of good things said about them. Mm-hmm. How do you get that faith that we're talking about? How do you get that? Because it, it seems like, you know, there are times when I believe because I've seen God do something in someone else's life or... God's done something in my life historically. So I believe because of that, but then there are times when God shares something with me that I've never seen or that is impossible. And I know that if God's going to do it, or if it's going to happen, it's going to be a total miracle. So it's like, how do you get that faith that we're talking about? Is it based off of what you see in others? Now, I know... um, Faith is the evidence of things hope. Mm-hmm. I'm getting all mixed up right now, but uh, you guys know the scripture I'm talking about. Substance of things hope. So I know this. 
So how do I balance that out? For me personally, Vince, the way that I, I get faith is the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, listening uh, to what the Spirit is saying. And when I hear what the Spirit is saying, it's going to infuse into me faith. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is something that comes from God and God alone. So when, when I hear what He's saying, that faith is built up in my heart. And it's, it is ultimately, it's a gift from God. Mm-hmm. I echo that. So I've got nothing to add. So, so in today's world, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard the story of Target and what's going on there. They've got uh, LGBTQ plus satanic attire that they are featuring. And, of course, people are freaking out about it and boycotting them. And then they announced that they're moving all that product to the back of the store. And then I just saw maybe a few hours ago that they are now discontinuing that line you know, after the outcry of all the people. So when I look at the world, to, and, and then another thing, I, I mentioned this this morning in our devotion here at Thin Time, um, I saw a video where a, a grandmother is sitting with her uh, granddaughter who is a social media influencer, and she's openly talking about her appointment to be euthanized. She is an elderly lady and has uh, is just happy with where her life is and has decided to uh, to kill herself. I mean, she's going to the doctor. They're going to inject her with something and, and, and kill her. And it's, a, it's, a, it's not in the States, but they're promoting this activity. And so I look at this and I go, man, how do I have faith in, with, with all this stuff going on in the world? How can I look at current events that are happening or even bad stuff in my life personally or my friends' lives or whatever? How can I look at that and still have this faith? There. I think ultimately, Vince, we go back to uh, the B-I-B-L-E. We go back to the source. Go back to what is written. And we see, uh, we see the great things that were said about uh, the people of Ephesus. We see the great things that were written of, of the early church. And they had their struggles, but their faith didn't waver because they were anchored to God, Vince. So... When we see this chaos around us, we've got to stay anchored to God. And we've got to trust God's Word and just walk with childlike faith. And that's not easy at times. Nope. But mm-hmm. we go back to our Creator, mm-hmm. and He promised He'll never leave us nor forsake us, but He'd go with us all the way, even unto the end of this world. Amen. And so God cannot lie. Derek, you got 10 seconds. I would add Isaiah. He said in chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died political chaos and turmoil. He said, I saw the Lord sitting up high on a throne. There you go. I think above all else, when things are chaotic, we've got to see God lift it up. Amen. We'll be right back. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began the ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. 
If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here with Pastor John Hargrove, Pastor Derek Weeks. We are decoding the symbols in the seven churches. However, we've only got through two churches so far, and we are not going to finish all seven, unfortunately, today. Um, but we have covered Ephesus and Laodicea. We've covered them somewhat, not as mm-hmm. thoroughly as we would have liked to have. Um, and we're going to move on to Smyrna now. Um, but do you all have anything you want to add before we move forward? I do not. All right. I'd go back to touching base the direction we went to before we moved to Smyrna. Uh, I cannot overemphasize to every every disciple, everyone listening to us today, we cannot allow the culture to drive us to bow down to the peer pressure around us. We've got to remain true to the Word of God, stay anchored to God, hear what the Spirit is saying, and when the Spirit speaks, obey it. Because the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. Mm. All right, we'll jump to Revelation 2, starting in verse 8. Again, interrupt as much as you would like. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. Those words are very important. (laughs) I think so. There's a reason why Jesus said them. And you'll see why as you read the rest of the... Letter. Verse 9, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine saying that to a local church here? When a church <laughs> or a group of people begin to become accusers like Satan, who is the accuser, you're in a dangerous spot. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So for me, this is one of the hardest letters. And it's because... In God's good, redemptive purposes, sometimes Christians are going to experience death. And in this case, persecution. I mean, we're all going to die, but I'm, in this context, persecution. You're going to be locked up for 10 days. Some are going to die. And it's because of that that Jesus says, these are the words of the first and last who died and came to life. He's reminding the church that, yes, some of you, You're going to die. We're going to die. But I'm the one who blew a hole in the wall of death and made an exit for every single one of us to walk through. And so I want to encourage those who are suffering from sickness, cancer has assailed your body, age has caught up with you, that there is one who already walked that path and pioneered a way out 
and that death, all it can do is make your life infinitely better because you will be with him. And then on that day, he's going to awaken you from death the same way that a father can awaken his daughter from sleep. So know this, you can faithfully and with grace go to death knowing that your Savior is going to be there to greet you and grab you by the right arm. And on that day, he's going to bring you up to new life. Yeah, but what about it's my spouse that's dying? It's my child that's sick and dying. Um, it seems like it's easier to accept that for me. But if I start thinking about my child going mm. through something, now I'm having some troubles. Right. Um, you're welcome to talk as much about that as you'd like. I know you talk about this publicly, challenges that your children go through. Mm-hmm. So you can go down that path as far as you want, but you don't have to. So, so for me, um, yeah, I have one child who's on the spectrum and one right now who's currently um, going through some doctor's visits. And I'm going to have to bring up yesterday's conversation, and that's grace. So when you read Second Corinthians... The Apostle Paul found himself at such a place that he prayed three times for God to take away this thorn. We have no idea what it is. Pure speculation. Nobody knows. But we know that it was painful privately because it constantly consumed his thoughts. And it was humiliating publicly because it was getting in the way of him doing what God's called him to do. And he prayed three times for God to take this thing away. And God said no. So to your question of suffering, when God says no... The answer to what do you do when he says no is you receive his grace. That favor, that recognition that God is utterly approving of you and delights in you. Those gifts that he has. And you'll find that that is going to be what sustains you and keeps you as you're walking through such horrendous suffering. The, the, the idea of losing your spouse or having a child who's sick or a parent who, who's aging. It's only by that grace that is sufficient. And here's what's amazing about that is the grace that is sufficient, what, Paul, what God is telling Paul there, it's grace that's tailor-made to fit your need. It's not off-the-rack grace. It's like it's a not, wild card. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not even that. It's God set it apart to fit your need. The way that a suit is tailor-made to fit the body of the one who ordered it. So it's not like it's reused or generic. It is specific. It's laser-focused to sustain you and keep you as you are to do what God has called you to do. So that's my, that's my answer. It's the only thing. It is the answer. It's the grace that sustains you when you're walking through such terrible suffering. And it's ultimately what kept Jesus. My response to what you said, Derek, that uh, to you it's one of the hardest letters I'm a little bit older in life now, and I have weathered quite a few storms events. And to me, this letter is a radical message of hope to me. Mm. And uh, people may disagree with where I'm fixed to take this conversation, uh, but I believe the Church of Smyrna is a message for the 21st century church that Jesus said... um, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if this church was not exempt from hardships, mm-hmm. suffering, mm-hmm. poverty, then we're not going to be exempt from it either. So there is a popular teaching among us. This is a prophetic ministry. And there is a You're very popular... the timing of the rapture, are you? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people say that Jesus will never, ever punish 
us as his children. He couldn't be that harsh. Did he punish the church of Smyrna? Mm. I don't believe so. Um, but God is saying, grace is sufficient. Um, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Uh, whatever you face, um, I had to fight back tears every time that I bring this subject up. Uh, you were uh, asking Derek to share some of the storm that he has navigated and is navigating. But as a pastor, I've helped many, many families face hardships. But as I helped my mother-in-law navigate the loss of both of her boys mm. back-to-back years, it was probably one of the hardest storms, guys, that I ever navigated. And But I've watched God's faithfulness. I've watched God keep my mother-in-law's sanity. Mm. She has never denied God. She has mm. never strayed from the hope that God has given unto her. Her faith is radically strong. And so um, when, when I see this church of Smyrna, what they walked through, what they navigated, and, and God didn't have anything negative to say mm-hmm. about them. It was all uplifting. It was all uh, edifying. And so I, to me, it's one of the most powerful mm-hmm. letters. I, I, love, I love ministering about right. the church of Smyrna. And, so. and admittedly, I'm younger you know, so there's still that youthful hubris, death so far away. You know, it means nothing. Um, and that's what I meant by it. But I do agree that that great hope that the one who went into death and came out mm-hmm. is going to assure us that we too are going to walk out of that exit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, this, this one line stuck out to me. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, this is not the KJV that I'm reading from. You have the KJV, I do believe. No, I don't. Oh, wow. You're so unholy. <laughs> <laughs> but what what does that mean? The second death will not be harmed by the second death. Yeah, ultimately, he's he's referencing this, this new birth experience. Yeah, because the first death, <clears throat> yes. what's that about? Yeah. Johnny James, I love to reference Johnny James a whole lot. Uh, Johnny James was a wonderful, powerful minister of the gospel. And Had the whole al- Bible memorized. Yes. Mm-hmm. He, he, he would always say this, if you're only born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. Mm-hmm. And so the second death, uh, for those of us that have the hope in Christ, as Derek was referencing, the second death, it, it don't have no sting on us. It don't, it don't have no hold on us. Jesus conquered it once and for all. I agree. Um, Everybody is going to experience that first death, except for those who were alive at the time of Jesus. But once God ushers his final judgment, that second death won't just be the body, but I believe it will be the whole person cast. Just like the, um, I'm drawing a blank, whatever chapter it is, but when the, False prophet and the beast are cast. That final death, mm-hmm. yeah, where everything is just destroyed. Um, not everything, but those who are so against an anti-God, who decided to worship themselves and not the Creator, they're going to experience that second death, where it's not just the body, but it's the whole person. If you don't want to be harmed by that second death, make sure you go to endtime.com/reborn. We walk through step by step there what it means to be born again 
And I tell you all the time that there's a real great reset that's coming. You've heard about the great reset from President Biden, Klaus Schwab, many others in the world. Well, Jesus is coming to establish a great reset when he returns to this earth. And we want you to be part of what Jesus is going to reestablish in that great reset. So go to endtime.com slash reborn to know what it means to be born again, just like the disciples described it, just like we're talking about it right now. All right, guys, we are just minutes away from being totally done. It's flown by. Uh, we were only able to cover Ephesus, Laodicea, and Smyrna. Um, what are, I guess, some final thoughts here? It's, you've got about a minute apiece. I think the, the main message that everyone that was listening to the program today, we all should be praying, God, give me an ear to hear mm-hmm. what you're saying to me right now. And as he speaks to us, we not only need to be hearers, but we need to be doers of what the Spirit is saying to us. Amen. Amen. Last word, Derek. You may never be back. So. I may never be back. <laughs> Maybe your last time on the end time show. <laughs> then I echo what Pastor John said. Pray that you have ears to hear. Because if you're not listening to what the Spirit is saying, you're not going to be a part of that group that overcomes that John is writing to. So pray that you're listening. Pray that you apply it. You're not just hearing, but you're doing and you will be one of those who overcome, and the second death will not touch you. Show Derek some love after I'm ribbing on him a little bit. Type in the comments if you want to see Derek back. Type Derek in the comments. Everyone's going to spell your name wrong, but that's okay. You're yep, used to that. I am. It's a unique spelling of the word Derek, but you spell it however you want in the comments. Let him know that you appreciated him being on the show. Of course, you can type John, too. So let's see who can get the most comments, Derek or John. And then you want the profit. maybe one of them will get a prize or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, don't forget, as we wrap today's show up, to go to endtime.com slash ABC. That's where you can pre-order Understanding the End Time. It's going to ship in just a few weeks here in June. Um, and if you pre-order now before that's up, you're going to get over $350 in bonus items. So be sure to do that today at endtime.com slash ABC, or you can call 800-END-TIME, 800-363-8463. If you want to go totally digital with it, they're streaming now at endtime.com slash new. You can go there. I think the first five episodes are up, and we will be releasing new ones every single week on End Time Plus. So if you're already a subscriber, it's free to you. If you're not, you can start the free trial today and check out Understanding the End Time at endtime.com slash new. We'll be right back here tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central Time. See you then.